Last time I was here, I got to preach on Mark chapter 5, and you guys made it all the way to Mark chapter 10. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10. I want to tell you a little bit about the network for those of you who might not know. We're part of an organization called North American Mission Board, the SIN Network. And in that network, there are over 45,000 churches. And that's a lot of churches, okay? But what you might not know also is that of those 45,000 churches, there are 1,800 of them that are over 500 in their congregation size. Okay, so that's not very many of the 45,000. And then there are 1,800 from 250 to 500 in size. So less than 4,000 of those 45,000 churches are already the size of Salt City. And the average church plant uh, takes many years to get to 100 in attendance. And you guys are already well outpacing that and... Most church plants take years to baptize 10 adults, and you guys have already done that. In our churches already that we've planted, there are over 5,000 that attend regularly on the weekends, and this last year, 2017, we saw 520 people follow Jesus in believers' baptism. The vast majority of those, yeah, that's great, isn't it? So over 10%, and the vast majority of those were university students, because you know uh, Salt Network, our objective is to plant a church at every major university in North America. There are 403 targets in North America where 70% of the students who attend the university in North America attend in those 403 major universities. 81 of those are in the Midwest. And of course, the University of Minnesota became one of our top targets, and God has done a great thing here, and we're super excited about that. But let me tell you, it will cost you something to be a part of a church like Salt City. It might cost you your kids. The next two church plants that we're doing are going to be University of Wisconsin and Madison. And I had no idea that my oldest daughter and her husband were going to be a part of that church planting team. And the bummer about that is three of my grandsons are going to be there as well. I was crying like a baby when they decided to go. Not because of my daughter and her husband. I mean, get them out. But those grandkids. And then we're also planning a church next year at University of Kansas. And who knows what will be next. I'm hoping uh, maybe... University of Michigan, because we want to win some more football games, right? So uh, you guys know it'll cost you a lot. The Petersons know this. They have a daughter that's on staff um, in Ames, and she now is engaged to a man who's on staff in Des Moines, and they're preparing to go plant who knows where, Timbuktu. The Wassenauers, now guess what? They have a son who's on staff in Ames, and he's preparing, hopefully, to be a part of a church planting team. And I was noticing those men that were being commissioned as elders here, and, you know, there's not yet a Weichel that's old enough to be on staff anywhere. But just so you know, Nate, it's coming. I can see your kids right there. Prepare for your future. You're going to be a church planter. As we pray for Jude, what do we pray for? God, raise him up to be a mighty warrior for you. And what do we want him to do? We want him to be involved in this mission of church planting. Why? Because it's the mission of God. We're here for only a moment. What is your life? It's a vapor. It appears for a little while and then 
It's gone. But in this moment, we can have a tremendous impact if we fully give ourselves to Jesus. And that's what we get to in Mark chapter 10. And I want to ask you the question this morning, why do you follow Jesus if you follow him? Why do you follow Jesus? Now, everybody who knows me knows I'm very time conscious. And I don't have a countdown clock on my screen here, Isaac. So, all right, can you... Can you take care of that? And I've already been talking some, and I don't want to go long because I really love doing this, and I'll just go and go and go unless I see something that says stop. <laughs> but I want to know the question, why do you follow Jesus? In last week's teaching, did you love that? I love the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler and the story of his monopoly money that he was offering to God to try to buy his way into heaven. Drew did a great job. I love his insight. And then the disciples said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Certainly, we're going to get in. And we heard then last week the camel story that Drew should turn into a children's book. You know, I can't remember the names of the camels, but I remember the story. One tried to buy his way in and the other person tried to unload everything. And the only person that got in, the only camel that passed through the eye of the needle was the one who did nothing but put their faith in Jesus. You should write a book, Drew. Really, you're a very insightful dude. But this morning, we're gonna see that Jesus, once again, is talking to his disciples and he's saying, I'm headed to the cross. I know exactly what is ahead of me. He knew what exactly what was ahead of him and he was making it clear to his disciples and he wanted them to know as well, don't follow me for yourself. And even today, I think so many of us, we follow Jesus not because of what we should be doing for him, but because of what we believe he would do for us. And so many of the disciples didn't get it, and I wonder if we don't get it today. But one thing is clear from the text today. We rarely understand God's desire for our lives. It's sad. And most of us still continue to primarily pursue Jesus for our own selfish desires. And today we're going to look at two who should have got it, James and John, and then this blind guy, Bartimaeus. And what did he want? He just wanted to see. And I think so many times we pursue Jesus for us, and Jesus just wants us to pursue him for him. I was at a leadership conference in my 30s. My wife will remember this and probably regret that I'm even bringing up this story, but it was a leadership conference two days and went out to California to be a part of this conference. And one of the things in the conference is they actually would sit you down across from someone else that was at the conference and they would put you knee to knee. You literally had to touch your knees and then put your hands on your own thighs and then one of you would yell at the other one to the top of their lungs, what do you want, what do you want, what do you want, what do you want? And every time they said that, you had to give a response. You know, what do you want? You'd have to say, I want you to shut up. <laughs> what do you want? I want? And here was the overwhelming reality. The more they did it to you, and just imagine someone driving into you. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And you know what began to come out of my mouth? More. Selfish. More. I want my life to be better. I want my best life now. And is that what Jesus has prepared for us? 
Is that what Jesus had prepared for his disciples? We see in our text, beginning in verse 32, and they were on the road and they were going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Probably talking to his father saying, why are these people following me? They're nuts. And the people who were following, look at what it says. It says they were amazed. And those who also followed were afraid because Jesus was doing some crazy stuff. And they were afraid of the things that he was doing. And then taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was about to happen to him. And this is now the third time that he's done that. We're going to look at these closely. In Mark chapter 8, verse 30. In Mark chapter 9, verse 30. And now again he's telling them the third time. And he said to them, See, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Do you remember the first time that this happened? Jesus was in a conversation with his disciples in Mark chapter 8, and he said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he said, well, let me tell you what's going to happen to me. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And after three days, I'm going to be raised again. And what did Peter said? Never, Lord. No way. Over my dead body, no one's going to hurt you. We will fight for you. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. For you're not speaking what God wants. You are speaking what you want. And then Jesus gave these powerful words. Do you want to come after me? No man can come after me if he does not deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You want to save your life, you must lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will surely find it. It's not about what you want. It's about giving up all that you have. And then you know chapter 9, Jesus did it again in chapter 9. He told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. And it says that they didn't understand what he was saying. And they were afraid to ask him. But immediately after that, do you remember what happened in Mark chapter 9? They were got in an argument. Can you imagine this? You're with Jesus, the Son of God. You've watched him do all that he's done to this point. And they're in an argument about what? They wanted to know which one of them was the greatest. Literally fighting about it. And Jesus called a child into the room. And he says, you want to be great in the kingdom of, of God? You have to humble yourself like a child. For the first will be last and the last will be first. And now again in chapter 10, Jesus for the third time in three different chapters is saying to his disciples, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and after three days I'm going to rise again. And what was the response? Finally we get it. No. Verse 35, let's look at it together. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, and they said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. 
If you read Matthew 20, and I always love reading the parallel accounts of the gospel, it wasn't just James and John. Who else came to have this conversation with Jesus? Their mother. (laughs) Man, it's a sad day when your mom is going for your job promotion, right? And so they come up together. What a pathetic trio. And I don't even know who asked first. Was it their mother? Now, Jesus, you know, my boys have been real good. They were part of the transfiguration, you know. And Peter, he opens his mouth too much, and we all saw you rebuke him. Yeah, I agree. He is like Satan himself. (laughs) But my sons, you've called them sons of thunder. And they're with you on that inner circle, and they have that relationship with you. And, you know, when you come into your kingdom, Lord, I think maybe James would be on the right, and John on the left, and they're going, oh, Mom, you're awesome. Mark just recounts that they came, and they said, Lord, will you do for us whatever we ask? Have you listened to your prayers? I listen to mine sometimes and I'm quite embarrassed. Because my ask are often so selfish, so pathetic, so insignificant in the grand scheme of events. We got a little tournament going on in our culture. Have you noticed that? And one of the reasons I want to do this church planning thing is I like winning. We plant enough churches, I'm always going to be in a running, right? My bracket's always going to be a winning bracket. We still get teams in, right? Have you watched the guys over this silly game? What do they do? They pray. What are they asking God for? They want to win. that sound like and their moms are probably praying for them to be the stars of the team that they would hit the winning shot maybe sounds like the disciples with their mother in this pathetic scene coming before Jesus himself the king of the universe and saying you do for me whatever I want James and John are grateful that I'm not God because I have turned them into toads at that moment. But Jesus said to them in a loving voice, just like he said to the rich young ruler, because he loved him and he understood his selfishness, he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism of which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand 
or my left is not mine to grant, but is for those to whom it has been prepared. And I love this next verse. It says, and when the ten others heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They were angry. Why? Do you think they were saying, James and John, they're so selfish. They're so clued out about who Jesus is and what he's trying to do. Can you believe that they are just wanting to posture and position themselves before the king of the universe? I'm so mad at them. When will they grow up? When will they see that Jesus is worthy of their service? Why do they always want Jesus to be serving them and doing things for them? You think that's why they were mad? No, here's why they were mad. Oh, I can't believe they beat us there. I want to sit at the right. I want to sit at the left. And then Jesus gives his teaching once again. At every occasion that he talked about his death, he gives a clear teaching to his disciples. Let's look at it. And Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Do you want to be great? Become a servant. And whoever would be first must be the slave of all. He repeated what he said in chapter 10, verse 31. And then he said this about himself. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many scholars would say that that's the theme verse of all of the Gospel of Mark. Is this verse, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew why he came. He knew what he was going to do. It was difficult for 30 years of his life before he began his ministry. He was living the perfect righteous life for us so that we could be saved. And when he stepped into ministry and the voice of God came from heaven and the dove lit on his shoulder and he heard God say, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And from that point forward, he started marching to Jerusalem. Why? To die. To suffer. To serve. Why? To do for us what we could not do for ourselves so that we could have life in Jesus' name. And even his disciples didn't get it. The disciples moved from argument the second time he said to now validation. They actually believed that they were the greatest. And Jesus knew that they would suffer. Jesus knew that they would die. Jesus knew that the path that he took would be a path that they took. Because guys, to follow Jesus is only to take one path. 
Have you noticed this about life? Anybody who preaches to you a gospel that makes your best life now doesn't understand the gospel that Jesus presents in the scriptures. Are you still going to God every morning in prayer? Asking for what you want? Listening to your prayers? In your selfish demands to the king of the universe as though you are God? Can you hear Jesus' words? If any man should come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You want to be great in the kingdom? Make yourself a servant of all. You want to be first? Make yourself last. For even I did not come to be served, and he is worthy of our service, but to serve and to give his life so that we could be saved. Greatness is not in being served. Greatness is in serving. Greatness is not being the receiver, but greatness is being the giver. Let me ask you a question this morning. What did Jesus want from his disciples? Think they ever thought about that? So interesting to me how their lives changed after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they received the power of God within them. And they began to one after another lay down their material possessions and follow hard after Jesus and lay down their life and follow hard after Jesus. And all the disciples did not receive great accolades in this world or great wealth or great personal gain. But I guarantee you, when they stepped into heaven, they heard the Father say, well done. Good and faithful, what? Servant. Verse 46, then we get to another story, and we're going to see just the heart of Jesus. He's so good to us. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with the disciples, a great crowd was with him. And Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked Bartimaeus, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him what he said to his disciples, James and John, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, 
Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately recovered his sight and followed him on the road. Can you imagine what it's like to be blind? I, I can't, really. I, the best I've ever done was uh, Jimmy Funk, who's my friend, who's a Black Hawk pilot. He wanted to help me experience his night vision goggles. And in order to fully experience the night vision goggles, you have to get in a place that is super, super dark. And so he had this office building, and the inner parts of the office building was a bathroom that was made out of concrete as an older building. And so when you shut that bathroom door and turned off all the lights on the inner part of this big building, you were really in darkness, and it was a large bathroom. And so he would one at a time give us uh, the night-seeing goggles. And when you were the one with the goggles, it was so much fun. But when you were the one that didn't have the goggles, you were totally in darkness. You hated life for the moments, because you just thought, okay, whoever can see and I can't see, they're just going to take advantage of me in this moment. And I was so glad that I got the goggles last because I knew the fear of the darkness. Have you ever been in that kind of darkness? And I can't imagine being blind. But certainly Bartimaeus had heard the stories of how Jesus could heal the blind and he heard the crowd and his ears were alert and he heard someone say it's Jesus of Nazareth so welling up in his heart what did he want he just wanted to see and so he began to yell out at Jesus Jesus son of David Messiah have mercy on me he said be quiet but he didn't want to be quiet because he wanted to see and so he cried out even louder Jesus have mercy on me. Jesus called him. Can you imagine the excitement that must have been in his heart when he heard that Jesus, the one who can heal the blind, had called him? And he threw off his coat and he ran to Jesus in the dark. And then he heard Jesus say, what do you want? And he says, I just want to see. I believe Jesus is asking us a question this morning. Did you come in here with a selfish heart? I did. What is it you've been asking God to supply his supernatural power? In your life to do. Have you come in here with spiritual blindness? The theme verse of our network is Luke 10 2. And Jesus sent out the 70 and they came back and they were amazed at what God was doing. And Jesus said, pick up your heads and see the fields are wide unto harvest and pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. He said the same thing in Matthew 9, 37 and 38. See the fields, they are white unto the harvest. Across North America, the church is dying and declining. The average age of a person that attends a church is more towards senior citizen than college student. 
And across the world, have you noticed? Our world is dying and declining. And it's as though we as followers of Jesus are blind to it. And we just keep coming to him and saying, oh, give us more of what we want. And what is it that we want? Is it what God wants? Can you see the fields are white and harvest? Can you see that we serve a benevolent and gracious, merciful God who often, even with our pathetic request, what does he do? He grants us what we want and more than we need. psalmist says that he opens his hand and he satisfies the desires of every living thing. But wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be great if now we could see on the other side of the cross what Jesus was in fact doing and what he is calling the disciples to and we along with these men who are up here as elders who are saying, no, we're gonna lay down our life and serve this church because we see what God wants and it's not about what I want because now what I want is what God wants. And when we wake up in the morning to pray, we say, here I am, Lord. How can I serve you today? That's my prayer for Salt City Church. What do you want? I want to see God do great and mighty things through a group of men and women who say it's worth my life to serve and follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, this morning we have an opportunity to open your word again and to hear from you. And I love it that the disciples missed it so badly. And we mock them a little bit and make fun of them. But we're just like them. I know I am. And I love what Drew said this morning. We're not here because we're fixed, we're here because we're broken. And you are what we want. You are what we need. And we pray, God, that even in these moments that we would decide to lay us down so that we can fully follow after you. Help us to see that greatness is in loving and giving and serving. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.